Well, hey, Forefront, good morning. It's good to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us today. And for those tuning in online, welcome. It's great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those. And we'll flip to the book of Philippians chapter 4. As we get started this morning, I want to ask the question. Are you somebody who enjoys life? Like, like if you had a friend and you're having a conversation with a friend, you asked him that question. Am, am I somebody who seems to enjoy life? Do you enjoy being around? What would they say? Or, or if you ask somebody you knew in your family, are you a joyful person? Would their answer be yes or be no? You know, about uh, six years ago, Courtney and I, we were just in this really crazy season of life, and we had two little ones at home. I had a two-year-old and a, a three-year-old, and I was working full-time in the corporate world. as in seminary. Courtney was working, and, and we were just busy. And, and, and to mention, I had just taken over a really small church outside of Kansas City, so we were busy. And I remember telling Courtney, wow, I, I just cannot wait until that day when I graduate, because when I graduate, then I'll be able to finally enjoy myself. It sound familiar to anybody? Anybody fall into the when-then category? You might say, when I get to college, when I get that first job, when I finally get my promotion, my raise, when I get married, when I have enough money to buy a home, then, then I'm going to really enjoy life. See, some of you are there now, right? You say, when my kids get out of diapers, then I'm really going to enjoy life. When my kids all go to school and I'm not paying for daycare, then I'm going to really enjoy. When my kids all start driving and I'm no longer Mr. Belvedere, then I'm going to really enjoy life. But let me ask you the question. Isn't there always another win? I mean, I think this pandemic has revealed to us that there seems to always be a win and a then. Well, when this thing's over, when everything gets back to normal, when fill in the blank, then I'm going to be able to finally enjoy my life. But how many of you know there's always another win and another then? You know, one, one of the, the, the t- things I remember from that season of life is I remember I was kind of standing in the back of the church one day, and I was having some conversations, and there's this really sweet lady. She walked up to me, and we were, we were pretty close, and she really loved my family. And she came to me, and she said, hey, I know things are really hard right now, but let me just remind you, the days are long but the years are short. And if you don't choose to enjoy every season, it's going to pass you by and you're going to miss it. And so I remember taking it to heart and I I have not done it perfectly, but it stood out to me that I need to make the choice to to, to choose to enjoy, to to choose joy. Because if I don't, ah, it can pass us by way too quick. This morning I'm really excited, as Darren mentioned earlier, to kick off this new Advent series called Choose Joy. You know, I love the season of Advent because we get to dress up the church and it looks beautiful and kudos to our design team for the amazing work they do. Put your hands together for the design team. Wow, we've got so many talented people here at Forefront. But it's this really beautiful time for us to look forward but yet look back. We look forward with anticipation to Christmas and what Christmas means. But we also look back. We also look back and remember what it was that Jesus did for us. So we're kind of in this, this kind of this already but the not yet. And we're going to spend the next four weeks talking about what it looks like to choose joy. And I think this is really important for us because like that really sweet lady told me one time, if we don't choose to enjoy the season we're in, we just might miss it. So as we talk about joy, I want to define a couple terms as we think about what it looks like to, to be joyful and to, to choose joy and, and what's the difference between joy and happiness. So as we go, I want to just clarify a few things. When we talk about joy, here's what we're talking about. 
We're talking about joy as defined as joy being gratitude rooted in grace, no matter the circumstance. So our joy is, is a gratitude that's rooted in grace, that's not dependent upon what's going on in our lives, where happiness is different. So I like to define happiness like this. Happiness is an emotion based on circumstances and outcomes. How many of you know that is true? Now, happiness is beautiful. Happiness is something we all want. But how many of you guys know happiness can change at a snap of a finger? You can be on the moon at 1030, and by 1045, you're in the pit of despair. Can I get an amen? Somebody's felt it this week. The reality is happiness based on outcomes and based on emotions can quickly change. But joy is different. Joy is deep. Joy is, is, is something more full. Joy is something richer. We all want to be happy, but deep down, what we all want truly is joy. But how many of you know that everything in your life is trying to steal your joy? You know, they say don't go to Australia because everything wants to kill you. Well, in our world, everything is trying to steal our joy. How many of you had your joy stolen this week by traffic? A few of you? Every day for me? How many of you had your joy stolen this week, stolen this week by some crazy person at work? A few of you? How many of you have your joy stolen by your kids? Like, let's be honest, we love our kids. Oh, I see a hand over there. I think that was a kid. I, 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 the reality is, like, brothers and sisters, they steal our joy, right? So everything's trying to steal our joy. But you know who's the worst? You know who's the worst person that's stealing your joy or my joy? Me. I'm the worst. When it comes to joy thievery, I am the numero uno. I'm the worst of them all. Let me prove it to you. This week, how many of you found yourself had a pretty good day, start to the morning? Maybe you were able to spend some time with God and it was a good drive to work, but all of a sudden something came to your mind and you started to worry. Any worriers? Anybody worry? It's a safe place. I see some nods and some hands. Anybody just, maybe you're thinking about Thanksgiving, you're thinking about traveling, or you're thinking about all the craziness that's going on in the world, and you got a little anxious. Anybody just a little anxious this week? How about fear? Anybody feel just a little fearful this week? My guess is if you felt any of those three, fear, anxiety, or worry, it's still your joy. And so we are our own worst enemies. You know, someone once said that the, the um, chief threat to joy is worry, and I think we know that is true. So we are our own worst enemies when it comes to joy because we live in this what-if world, right? What's going to happen? How am I going to handle this? What if this happens? What's going to happen then? But, but what if, a better what if, we could turn that around and instead of letting these things steal our joy, we decided to actually choose joy. I was reading a story this week um, Back in April in France, there was a frost. Some of you guys might have heard this last year. There was this really deep frost in the French vineyards, and the farmers, the, the, the vineyards, they were worried that they were going to lose their crop. 80% of the vineyard, the, the grape crop, was impacted by this frost. And so they, they decided what to do. You know, how are we going to handle this? If we just sit on our hands and worry and fear and be anxious about it, we're probably going to lose our crop. So they came together and they decided. They took paint pots and they filled them with wax and they lit candles. Here's a picture of one. And so if you looked out last April across the vineyard, the vineyards in France, you would see the night sky lit up by these paint pots. And the goal was to try to melt the frost to save the grapes. See, they had a choice to make. They could have sat on their hands and done nothing, but they chose to act. They chose to fight for their crops. 
And I think one of the things that we're going to see today as we dig into this idea of choosing joy is that God wants us to keep the fire of joy burning and he wants us to fight for it, to choose it. So what would it look like in your life if you decided to, rather than just kind of letting things happen to you, you actually chose joy, you chose to experience joy, you decided to quit living with the win-then scenario, but you actually chose to act. And if we did that, what does that even look like? We're going to see the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 give us really a formula for how we can choose joy. And I believe that when we look at this at first, it's going to seem a little weird and simple and, and maybe it doesn't make sense. But as we peel back the layers to the onion, I believe it actually has the power to change your life and to change mine. So I'm excited to dig into Philippians chapter 4 with you over these next few weeks. So today, let's start. If you have your Bibles, let's grab those. Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4. Notice what Paul says. Paul says this. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. And your minds in Christ Jesus. At forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this beautiful season of Advent. And although it snuck up on us, Lord, I pray that we don't let it go by too quickly. That we can grab a hold of it. We can enjoy this time, this moment, these next few weeks when we look forward with anticipation to what you did for us on Christmas Day. But we also look back. We, we, we look back and we remember, Lord, what Jesus has come for us and what Jesus has done for us. And, Lord, we come to you today just with grateful, thankful hearts. Father, I, I pray that as we spend some time in this series that you'll, you'll open up each of our minds and our hearts to look at different areas in our life when we haven't been choosing joy, when we've been letting life happen to us, or maybe we've been overcome by emotions or different things that, Lord, we just need to give to you. And it sounds so simple, but, Lord, help us to see that while it sounds simple and it's difficult to do, you will move in the midst of it all. Father, I lift up the families here at Forefront who are walking through really hard seasons. And I look across our church today, and I know, Lord, that, that we bring a lot in the building today, Lord, but I pray that we can lay that at your feet and ask you, Lord, move. Move in our lives and help us keep our eyes on you to focus on what is good and what is true, and that's you. So, Father, I pray you stir us up, stir up our affections for Jesus, and we leave today looking more like Jesus than when we came. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, the book of Philippians is a really interesting book. It's known as the book of joy. Paul continually is writing about joy throughout this entire letter. And as he writes this letter to this church in Philippi, Paul actually writes about joy, but Paul's in prison. Not really a joyful place. And he's writing to a church of people who aren't really experiencing a lot of joy. They're, they're being persecuted for their faith. They're being outcast from society. There's a lot of really messy, ugly things going on. But Paul says, look, don't look at your circumstances. Notice me, I can be joyful in prison, you can be joyful where you are too. And so he gives us this prescription for joy all throughout the letter. But in, in chapter 4, he really camps out and he shows us that joy is possible, but it won't happen to us naturally. Joy is something we actually have to choose. And so you might read this chapter, and as we dig through this, you're probably going to, in your mind, go, there's no way that's true. Nah, that can't be. That seems impossible. 
But what Paul wants us to see is the same thing that Jesus says, that, that it, it might be impossible to man, but all things are possible with God. And so when we talk about this idea of rejoicing, of choosing joy, of just this big picture idea of joy, don't put up any walls, but let God kind of waft over you. Let God's truth be really a tidal wave that helps us to see the reality that we can have in Jesus and in Jesus alone. So look here with me, starting in verse 4. Paul says something that just seems crazy to us, especially when you're walking through a pandemic or you're walking through a health situation or the finances aren't good. Paul says, rejoice. He doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And I think we, put the, we immediately put a wall up. We say, Paul, you don't know my situation. Paul, there's no way I can rejoice. Are you serious? My family's been out of work. I've lost loved ones. I'm sick. I'm hurt. I'm tired. Something's going on. The world's broken. Paul, how can I rejoice? And Paul says, rejoice. It's a command, actually. Rejoice. You know, this word rejoice, it's really an interesting word. It, it, if you look at the Greek word, it, it actually describes a lifestyle of joy. How many of you want a lifestyle of joy? I'm like, wouldn't that be good just to walk out today and be like, man, I haven't worried for a year. Just full of joy, right? Your friend, how, many, how many more friendships would you have if you were just living a lifestyle of joy? This idea, this, this word for rejoice, is, it's talking about this lifestyle of joy, and, and it comes, notice this, from an active choice to choose joy regardless of your circumstances or challenges. An active joy. See, it's not a one-time thing. This is an, an active joy. And it gets back to what we talked about earlier, that difference between happiness and joy. Do you guys remember the definitions? One was rooted in circumstance, but the other wasn't. See, one way I like to think about it like this is happiness happens to you, right? Happiness happens to us. It's a, it's a circumstance that, that we feel, and it's emotion that, that we desire. But you can pursue happiness, but, but happiness isn't always going to be there. You know, just think about this last week. I think a lot of us experienced some good happiness. Maybe you had a really good weekend with the family. You got Thanksgiving Day with family members you haven't seen. You're happy. Maybe you were able to eat some of your favorite food or, or you had two days off of work or four days off of work and you're like, man, I am happy. Maybe you ate three pieces of pecan pie and you were happy and then really sad later, right? Just the reality of, of, of life, right? Happy and sad when and then, then. But, but joy is different. Joy is this deeper thing, right? It's a state of mind. I like how Henry Nouwen says it. He was a, he was a Dutch priest and a theologian and a writer, and he, he says it like this. He says that joy does not simply happen to us. If you are waiting for joy to happen to you, I am sorry, but you've got to keep waiting because joy just doesn't happen. Nouwen says we have to choose joy and keep choosing it every single day. It's not something that just one time you can pray for or hope for or look for. It's a choice. Every single day. You know, at my house, we, uh, my, my wife, Courtney, she's, she's amazing. And um, I like to think of my wife as a very delicate flower who needs to be taken care of and um, watered and in the right temperature. Now, you, any ladies in the room, you may know what I'm getting at here. If my house gets over 72 degrees, I'm getting the death stare. Any fellas, you know what I'm talking about? Right? There's like a range of happiness. It's like 68 to 72. If it's 73, fists are flying, right? If it's 67, you're getting a parka out, right? I mean, seriously, we're going to the mall just to walk. Like, it's so narrow. So anyways, I have to keep a close watch on the thermostat. Now, any of you guys remember these old school thermostats? Some of you guys are like, yeah, I still got that thing, actually. 
It's super efficient, right? So the thing about the old school thermostat is you couldn't just set it and forget it. Now, if you've got a nest or you've got a Honeywell or something good, you can just set it at 72 and set your program. But on this guy, you had to check it every single day. I used to go to my grandparents' house, and I'd walk back there, and it'd be like 87. And I'm like, Grandpa, what are you doing? Seriously, I just lost three pounds sitting in here talking. So, you know, we have to really manage this thing. And the same idea is true with this choosing joy. See, we have to set our temperature every day at home in your house. And we have to set the temperature of our life. If we're not setting the temperature of our life with God, then we're going to be going through all the ups and downs. Paul says that when we rejoice in the Lord, we're turning to God as our thermostat. See, God's not the thermometer. What does a thermometer do? It reads the temperature. What does a thermostat do? It sets it. And so when we go to God and we pursue God and we say, I'm going to make the choice to rejoice and I'm going to draw near to God and pursue him, then I'm making the choice to let God set my temperature rather than all these other things. So one of the questions I want you to ask yourself this week is, who's setting your temperature? Like, who is the temperature gauge at, in your life? Because I've got to be honest with you, if you're letting social media set your temperature, or you're letting the, the words of mm, grouchy, groucho friends set the temperature, or you're letting Fox News or CNN or news sources set your temperature, then you're always going to be going up or down. But when you let God set your temperature, he can keep it steady, and he can put you right where you need to be. And so that is the picture of us pursuing God daily to have him to set our temperature. James 4, 8 says this, that we need to come near to God and he will come near to us. God isn't just going to roll into your home and set your temperature for you. You can give him a key, but you got to pursue him. You got to invite him in every single day. So again, who controls the temperature of your life? What Paul is saying is this. He's saying that choosing joy is a daily decision to pursue Jesus. That just like you set your temperature in your house, you've got to pursue Jesus every day. And it's a daily choice that you actually have to make. I love John 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives us one of his famous I am statements. The book of John is filled with these beautiful I am statements that Jesus is telling us and revealing us to, to us something about who he is and, and how we interact with him. And he says this. I want you to see this. This beautiful picture in John chapter 15. Jesus says this. He says that I am the vine. And you are the branches. That whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, so think back to those frozen vineyards in France. Think to the, the grapes that are hanging on those vines, the branches that produce the fruit. The branches aren't the ones that have the nutrients to push the fruit. It's the root. It's the vine that brings the nutrients up to produce the fruit. And that, for us, is Jesus. The reality is we will never experience joy unless we are rooted in God. That's why we have to be with gratitude rooted in God's grace because that's where we get the nutrients that we need to to grow and to see the fruit and to see the the fruit of joy in our life, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. But but there's another concept here is what happens when we get unconnected. What happens if these branches got disconnected with the root? What would happen? The fruit would shrivel, right? Right? The branches would dry up. They would not get the nutrients that they need. See, God is wanting us to see, Jesus wants us to see that as we stay connected to him, as we abide in him, as we seek his presence, and that's a daily seeking, that we are given what we need to grow and to see the fruit in our life. But if we get disconnected from that, then we can wane and we can dry up and we can begin to to shrivel up. We know what happens when a heart 
shrivels, two sizes too small, we get a little grinchy, don't we? And we get a little grumpy, and we get a little entitled. And I think one of the, one of the things that Paul wants us to warn us about is entitlement. Because when it's all about me, when, when I am not connected to the root of Jesus, and, I, and I'm not seeing the bigger picture, I am focused on me, and it's all about me, myself, and I, then I end up feeling entitled and focusing on what I can get. And entitlement, lead, entitlement leads to an ungrateful heart. You know, in Luke chapter 17, there's this really powerful, really powerful account of Jesus walking to Jerusalem, and he's in Galilee still. And he, he comes by into this village, and there's these 10 men who are lepers. Now, if you knew anything about leprosy in those days, it was a skin disease, and it was terrible. If you had leprosy, you were outcast from society. You had to beg for food and money. You, you, you know, it's really, really messy, terrible nasty disease. You would not ever want to even be close to somebody if you live in that culture. And so Jesus walks to this village and there's 10 guys who say, Jesus, master, heal us. We heard about you. We heard you can heal us. Please have mercy on us. And so Jesus walks over to him and he looks at him and he says, okay, go and show yourself to the priest and you'll be healed. And so they get up and as they start walking, they're healed. Imagine a guy whose finger had been rotting off or a guy who had lost a toe or a guy whose ear had, had, had been deformed, all of a sudden completely healed. These 10 men are completely healed, but Luke tells us that there's one. One of these men sees it, realizes it, and turns back and runs up to Jesus and falls down at his feet and says, praise God, I can't believe you did this. Thank you so much. And Jesus looked at him and said, wasn't there 10 of you? Was there only one, only one of you guys? Decided to come back? He said, go, my friend, your faith has made you well. You know, one of the interesting things is that in the midst of crying for mercy and celebrating because they've been healed, they skipped gratitude and they went straight to entitlement. The entitlement can grip us so quick. Pride can grip us so quick and pull our eyes away from what God has done in our life and what God is doing and how God has rescued us and how God has saved us. And it leads us to a place where it's all about me. And when it's all about me, I'm not grateful. And I miss what God is doing in my life. And so this is why choosing joy daily is a pursuit of Jesus because it takes my eyes off of my circumstances and it takes my eyes off of me and my entitlement and what I want and what I don't have and it puts my mind on how grateful I am for what Jesus has done for me, that he has stepped out of heaven for me, that he has come here for me, that he has gave his life for me, that he has spoken truth over me and because he has died on the cross and traded places with me and rose from the grave for me, I can walk in newness of life and be the person he has called me to be. My friends, this is what Christmas is all about. This is the story of Christmas because that day that the shepherds were out in the field and the dark night and they were outcasted from society, nobody wanted to talk to a shepherd, but yet they stood there looking at that starry, starry night, I'm sure anxious and worried and uncertain of what the future is going to hold. And yet these multitude of angels, the sky is filled with, filled with light and they come to say, hey, shepherds, I've got some really good news for you. Luke says, the angel says this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Great joy for all the people because in the city of David, a savior has been born. Jesus is here. Jesus has come for you. And the reality is we don't have to fear, we don't have to worry, we don't have to be anxious about all these what ifs because Jesus has came 
for us. The one who can fix what is broken, who can mend what is fractured, who can save our souls has come. And this is what we look back to and celebrate at Christmas. And this is what we look forward to to celebrate on Christmas Day that Jesus will one day come again. So Paul says we need to see that choosing joy is, is something that we can actually do. It's a choice, but it's a daily decision to pursue Jesus. And notice verse 5. Notice why we can do this. It's because the Lord is at hand. He's saying we can do this. We can choose joy. We can rejoice in Jesus because the Lord is at hand, which means God is here. That Jesus is near. And that Jesus is coming back. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes back someday, he's going to come back with 10,000 times 10,000 angels. That's 100 million angels. Have you ever seen 100 million of anything? 100 million angels when Jesus comes back. Like That's the kind of power the one who came for us on Christmas brings. So Paul says, you can rejoice because Jesus is here. Jesus is near. And Jesus is coming back. So let me ask you the question. What would it look like for you if you began to choose joy? What would it look like for you to, to make a daily decision to pursue Jesus, to pursue the presence of God? How would that change your schedule, and how would that change your life? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a practical person, so I always want to ask, well, what does this look like? How, how does this work in my life? And thankfully, Paul tells us in verse 6, notice verse 6, Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. Now, this is a great Bible verse. And if you grew up in church, you're like, I love that verse. I've got that on a coffee cup and on a wall hanging in my office. But if you're kind of new to church, you're not really sure about some of this stuff, you look at that and you go, sounds like something a Christian would say, doesn't it? Just pray. You're anxious? Nah, just pray about it. It's going to be fine. You're fearful? Nah, just pray. Everything's going to be okay. This seems like a customary answer, doesn't it? And you might be here right now, and you might be walking through a really hard season, and you might be saying, I've been praying, and it hasn't helped. I've been praying, and I'm still anxious and worried and fearful. But let me just point your attention to something, because I think there's something in this that we miss and you've probably heard it before, but sometimes we overlook it. But it's the key. It's the formula to the entire thing. And we can't miss it. It's right there in the middle. Notice what he says. He says, don't be anxious about anything. How, Paul, how can I not be anxious about anything? But in everything, by prayer. God, I'm praying all the time. And supplication. God, I'm asking you for what I need. With thanksgiving. Oh. Oh, okay. I see it. You see that with thanksgiving there? That's the key to everything. See, we pray. We come to God and ask him what we need. But it's wrapped. It's surrounded. It's packaged in thanksgiving. Meaning that at the heart of your prayer is gratefulness. At the heart of your prayer is, God, I thank you for what you've done. God, I thank you for what you're doing. And I thank you for what you're going to do. And you might say, well, hold on a second. Does that mean that I'm actually asking, I'm actually thanking God for what he's going to do that he hasn't even done yet in a situation I'm not even sure how I want it to happen? Yeah, that's what he's saying. God, I'm thanking you for all possible outcomes because you know what's best, because you have my best interest in mind. And guys, that's hard. But when we wrap it in Thanksgiving, something powerful comes out of it. You know, one of my favorite verses that I love to share is Romans 8, 28. If you're going to memorize a verse, this is a great one to memorize, right? Because 
For God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And God is working out that bad situation in your life, that bad situation in our economy, that bad situation in our world. He's going to work it out for good. He's going to use bad and turn it into good. But he wants us to come to him and trust that the way he chooses to do it is the right way. And so he wants us to wrap our prayers in thanksgiving. And when we do, God will move in amazing ways. So Paul says, whatever is still in your joy, give it to God. Whatever is causing you to be anxious, give it to God. Whatever is causing you to be fearful, pray about it to God. Whatever is causing you to worry, give it to God. But do it with gratitude and thanksgiving. Not robotically, not, not, not automatic, but with the heart of gratefulness and thanksgiving. When you do, God will use that to produce something beautiful in your life. And Paul says that beautiful thing is peace. That beautiful thing is this peace, this supernatural peace that nobody can understand, that doesn't make any sense, that only comes from God. See, forefront, Paul is saying that gratitude is the game changer. See, why is gratitude so important? Why is it so powerful? I like what Billy Graham has to say. Notice what the great evangelist Billy Graham says. He says, when thanksgiving is filled with true meaning, it is not just the formality of a polite thank you. It is the recognition of dependence. See, when you are grateful, you're reflecting dependence. You're reflecting a hard attitude of dependence and trust. And so Paul's telling us here that joy is found when gratitude reveals a heart that depends on God. Does your heart depend on God? Because your gratitude will reveal whether it does or not. If, if you have thankfulness and gratitude in your heart for what God has done, it's revealing a dependent heart. But if you don't and it's entitlement instead, then I think you have to look under the hood and ask, why? Have I failed to see how God's moving in my life? And am I failing to trust him? Hundreds of years ago, before the compass was created, before we could just say, hey, Siri, give me directions to Best Buy, Sailors use the stars to navigate. And sailors would use the stars to navigate, and there was you know, the, the constellations and all of these things, but there was one star that sailors loved to use as the foundational star, and that was the North Star, or Polaris. I love this picture because it's a time lapse, and it shows you that how the North Star doesn't move from our perspective as the other constellations circle as we circumnavigate the sun. And so the sailors who did not have GPS or compasses would look to the North Star and that would be the one place that would set their course. So no matter what was going on in their life, they had their course set. They knew they could find their way home. They could get to where they needed to go. What would it look like in our lives if we began to look at Jesus for our navigation? If Jesus is the one that set our course. If we looked at Jesus as the one that, that with gratitude and thankfulness in our heart, we came to God and said, Jesus, point me the direction I need to go. But no matter the storms on the seas, I know that you can give me joy because I choose to look to you and not to the circumstances in my life. See, I think it would have the power to change everything. So just one takeaway for you today, church. It's this. Over the next 30 days, as we move into this time of Christmas, as we spend time with family and friends, and we get into the businesses of work and the busyness of Christmas parties, I want us to take time to identify the things we're grateful for. What, what is it you're grateful for? What just came to your mind? I want you to write it down. And then I want you to give thanks. 
And that could look a lot of different ways for us. Some of us have different routines, but here's what I would say. Before we get up and go to work, before we check our email, before we look at that first text, before we turn on the TV and watch whatever news outlet you like to go to or ESPN, get a gratitude journal, pull out a note on your phone and pray. Whatever that is that God's put on your heart, give that to him. and Say, God, thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're doing and what you will do. And as you do that, I challenge you to do that for 30 days. God will change your perspective and God will give you joy. You know, I love it when science catches up to God's word. And so I was recently reading some articles about some studies that Harvard, Cal Berkeley, and the University of Miami did on gratitude. And it's really interesting. Here's what they found. They found when you uh, give yourself over to gratitude for 30 days, that it it makes you healthier. It it increases your brain health. It helps you have better relationships. It helps you overcome personal trauma. One article mentioned that actually when you do this, it helps those with depression. I think we read that somewhere, didn't we, today? It helps those who have stress and pain. But I I want to read what Harvard said. Notice what Harvard Medical School said, it said this, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. And their version of happiness is what we would call joy. You want joy? You want to choose joy? It starts in gratitude. Gratitude of God.